Hello, and welcome to the G2 podcast. Great. Do you want to come and find your seat again? If you don't know me, my name is Hannah. I'm the leader here at G2. Thanks for the cheer. I've literally, that's never happened. <laughs> come on, guys. Be more like Jason. <laughs> um, if you were not here last week, then happy Easter. He is risen. Oh, so we've got one Anglican in the room. He is risen indeed. He is risen. Alleluia. Yeah, I didn't even know that, but. <laughs> so. Uh, last week being Easter Sunday, we obviously looked at the resurrection of Jesus. We looked at how uh, Mary and Mary found the empty tomb. We saw the angel who then told them that Jesus had been raised and the women ran to tell the disciples and on their way they met Jesus themselves and we learned that the resurrection changes everything. It turns the world upside down and it transforms us and it is only because Jesus defeated a death that we can walk in freedom every day. And then after his resurrection, Jesus remained on earth for 40 days. And this mirrors the very start of his ministry when he went into the desert for 40 days in preparation for the start of his ministry. So we've got 40 days right at the start and then 40 days right at the end. And obviously a lot can happen in 40 days. Um, and each of the four gospel writers chose to keep a different record of the different things that happened. So in Mark, who um, it's commonly known that Mark was writing Peter's recollections of what happened. Mark tells us that Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene first. Uh, then he appeared to two men while walking in the country. We hear a bit more about that um, in John's gospel. He also tells us that Jesus appeared to the 11 disciples um, as they ate. And uh, Mark says that he rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him after he had risen. Um, I think that's quite like the fact that Mark's writing Peter's recollections. That's quite quite Peter, like Peter um, liked the sort of black and whiteness, you know, like the, the fact that they were rebuked. Then Luke's gospel, Luke was a doctor, and he wrote um, based on what he had heard from others. Luke tells us about the road to uh, Emmaus, which again we'll talk a bit more about. And Luke also tells us that Jesus appeared to the 11 disciples and ate fish with them. It is John who gives the most details in his account. And obviously John was there. John was um, one of the disciples. And he tells us that Jesus appeared to the disciples first in a locked room. He separately appeared to Thomas, the disciple, um, who wasn't in the room at the time. Uh, and Thomas was unsure whether to believe this was Jesus. Jesus then appeared again in another locked room and invited Thomas to put his fingers through his hands where the holes were from when he'd been on the cross and Thomas did that and then John also tells us that um, some of the disciples were out fishing on Lake Galilee at night um, and uh, they so they were they'd been fishing all night they hadn't caught anything and then they see this guy standing on the shore 
um, and they can't quite tell who it is. Maybe he's a bit too far away. And this man that's standing on the shore, it's Jesus, um, says, uh, did you catch anything? And they're like, no, we didn't catch anything. So Jesus said, put your nets down on the other side, on the right side, and just try again. And so they do that, and the nets are filled with fish. And in that moment, that's when Peter knew that that was Jesus, because that's exactly what had happened when, when Jesus has first called Peter, right at the, at the start of the ministry is Peter had been fishing all night and Jesus said have you caught anything Peter said no Jesus said just try one more time and he did and he caught loads of fish so it was in the moment where Jesus kind of repeats that right from the start I love the playfulness of Jesus there we often think of Jesus as quite like a serious humble holy guy but I can just imagine him turning up at the beach and going I'm going to have some fun here like once again they've not caught anything I mean these guys are fishermen this is their job but we'll play on this we'll go with this and in that moment Peter ah it's Jesus and Peter just jumped into the water and just started swimming to get to Jesus before everyone else but it is the gospel of Matthew that we are most interested in obviously Uh, not because it is more interesting per se um, but obviously as um, Beth has warmed everyone up for it's 20 months since we started reading the gospel of Matthew and today we're right at the end and we're at the great commission now you've got this on your table so if you could just uh, get that in front of you um I'm going to read the the main bit and then I would love it if we could all join in with the last uh, bit which I think I've put in bold for you so it's obvious. So then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him they worshipped him but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Give yourselves a round of applause. That's it. The end of Matthew. Someone said to me the other day, they are never reading Matthew again. I said, you don't need to because you know it. It's fine. You know it by heart. So in our family, we've been uh, reading. We do Bible and brunch um, every Saturday morning, and we've been working through something called the Link Up Bible, which is a kind of children's Bible, but like older end of children's. And each week we've been working through it, so we're reading different Bible stories. And nearly every chapter finishes with this. But there was more, so much more to come. So... Um, we kind of got into the habit of, I would say, but there was more. And then the kids and Luke would say, so much more to come. So we would read Adam and Eve, and then I'd say, but there is more. So much more to come. And we'd read about Noah, but there was more. And then we'd read about Jonah, but there was more. And we'd read about Moses, but there was more. And at first, as you can tell, it's a bit cheesy. But, and the boys would roll their eyes. They're 10 and 12. Oh, yeah, here we go. They'd sort of reluctantly join in. Then it kind of became funny the more we did it. But over time, definitely for me, it became deeply profound to the point where I would choke up as I said it. Because there is more. There is so much more to come. And although this is the end of Matthew and the end of Jesus on earth, 
It is just the start for the disciples. It was the start of Christianity. It was the start of a whole new group of followers. It was the start of the early church. It was the start of the gospel spreading further. And Jesus is really clear about the strategy for this. Go and make disciples of all nations. This is the culmination of Jesus's ministry. He has just spent three years with these guys, showing them, teaching them, coaching them, releasing them, sending them out, letting them have a go, coming back, talking about it. This is the pinnacle, and it is a call to action that he finishes with. The Great Commission was not just for the disciples. It is for all of us today. Jesus' final words before descending to heaven were to empower everyone who believes in him. He says that all authority has been given to him, all authority on heaven and on earth. I don't know if we can even begin to understand how much authority that is. All of it has been given to him. Therefore, go Go in that authority. He passes it on to us. And it is from that authority that has been given to him. He shares with us, we go and we make disciples and we baptize them. He didn't say go and be disciples. He didn't say go and get a nice good job. Go and live a comfortable life. Go get married, have babies. He said, go and make disciples. And surely... Jesus will be with you always till the very end of the ages. And so all of us are asked to continue his mission, to be the light of the world, to be the church family that lives radically different lives. And we've got the same authority as Jesus to do that. And so ultimately, that's what underpins everything that we do here at G2. Our purpose as a church is to make disciples who make disciples. So everything that we plan, everything we do when we gather together on a Sunday, in our small groups, and in our other interactions, is to equip each other so that we can all be followers every day. I've been part of churches where the Sunday service is big in every way. Big band, big preach, big message, big response. And I think there's a place for it. I'm not criticizing other churches. You leave feeling high. But I'm not always sure that that's what will sustain us every day in the tough times and the good times and just the mundaneness of life. I'm not sure we always get it right here at G2, but I do know that our heart is to equip so that everything we do can be done at home. When we gather here and we pray in different ways or we do zones, it's so that we can go home and live as disciples and make disciples. Our purpose, not like ju just as individuals, but together is to make disciples who make disciples because there is more, so much more to come. And so after Jesus left earth and then he descended to heaven, the disciples, they took this commission very seriously and they went off in all different directions, preaching the gospel. Between them, they covered Jerusalem, Judea, Bulgaria, Georgia, Asia, Iran, Italy, Turkey, Iraq, Syria. They went. Many of them were killed for preaching the gospel, but a few of them made it to old age and died naturally. But the disciples didn't just preach the gospel and then move on. They stayed in places and they helped 
believers to figure out what does it mean to follow Jesus every day? How do we do this together without Jesus? How can we be a community without him? And then lots of you will know that a few years after Jesus ascended to heaven, Saul enters the scene. A significant Jew, an important Jew, who hated the Christians and the church that they were becoming. And on the road to Damascus, lots of us know this famous story. On the road to Damascus, he was going to arrest followers of Jesus. He was going to find them. He was a few miles out of Jerusalem. And he had this spiritual encounter with Jesus himself. He lost his sight for three days. He heard the voice of God and his life was transformed. And Paul, who, which he then became, he was Saul, became Paul, he then spent, spent his life, like the disciples, preaching the gospel and creating communities of followers known as churches. And many of the books in the New Testament are letters written by Paul to those churches that he has created, where he's preached, put people together, and then released them to be the church. And he writes to encourage them, to advise them on how to keep God at the center of everything they're doing and on how to be the church. So their God was still their God. Yahweh is what he calls himself in the book of Exodus. And so for Jewish converts, as well as for Greeks and other non-Jews that were entering this faith in Jesus, knowing who God was, was would become vital for them growing in faith and wisdom and understanding. That had to come first. They had to remain with God at the center but doing that in community, in a church family, where everyone has a part to play, would also become critical for them to encourage each other, to disciple each other, to make decisions together. It was never intended that followers would walk alone. Followers need to, to live in community together. So they had to have a good sense of who he is and who we are in order to survive and thrive. And so that's what we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks. Um, as Annabelle said, our Sundays are looking at who God is and our small groups, we're looking at who we are. Not as individuals, not like, who am I, Hannah, and who is Annabelle, Annabelle? Um, but who we are as a group of individuals, a family of believers connected to each other. And in Paul's first letter to the church of Corinth, he describes beautifully what this looks like in a metaphor. So you've also got that on your tables, and I'd love it if you could just read that on your tables now. So there's four paragraphs, so perhaps four people could read a paragraph each, um, and let's just listen to this. So off you go. Okay, so what Paul is saying here is that the church is one body, but with many different parts. And each part is different. Each part is unique. It has its own purpose, but every part is connected. Now, the average adult human body has 206 bones, 650 muscles, and 78 organs. There, each of us has about, I don't know, 20 to 30 trillion red blood cells and far too many blood, white blood cells to count. I tried to Google it, and it, I didn't understand what it was saying. But so don't worry, basically, there's a place for everyone in this body. Maybe you are one of the many red blood cells, but there is a place for everyone. 
And what this means is that regardless of our past, regardless of what earthly family we were born into, regardless of our financial situation, regardless of the colour of our skin or the taste of our music. And I mean that seriously because when I first became a Christian, I don't know if everyone will get the context of this, but do, do you know who you two are? Big band, 90, yeah, some of the young people, not so sure. Big, big post-punk band. Um, well, when I became a Christian, basically I thought you had to like you two to be a Christian because everybody liked you two. It was like, it was just assumed, of course you like you two. And one day I had this realization where I was like, no, I like Westlife, the <laughs> Irish boy band. And, it, and that's okay too. And I, I like went around saying to the other Christians, by the way, I don't like you two, I like Westlife. And God set me free from that. <laughs> I still got a place in heaven. <sighs> yep. We are all baptized, regardless of our taste in music. We're all baptized in the same spirit. And there is only one Holy Spirit. But do you know what happens when there are differences in the world? We've all seen it. We tend to focus on the differences. So the hand does not look like the foot or do what the foot does. And so it would be really easy for the hand to say, well, I'm not part of the body because I don't look like that. I don't do that bit. And the ear could easily look at the eye and realize it's nothing like the eye. It doesn't work in the same way. It doesn't offer the same purpose. And so the ear could say, well, I'm not really part of the body then, am I? I'm different. But obviously that's ridiculous when we put it like that. Of course the ear is part of the body. And Paul even says, imagine if the whole body was an eye. So let's just imagine one big eyeball. All of us were just one eyeball just rolling around every now and then, like going on the iris and hurting ourselves. It'd be absolutely stupid. Or what if the whole body, what if we were still body shaped, but we were just covered in ears? We were just, just multiple ears all over our body. It'd be really good for hearing, but not good for anything else at all. Or what if the body parts just decided we don't need each other? We're fine. The head just declares, I don't need the feet anymore. I'm fine without the feet. So then the head is doing one thing and the feet is doing something totally different. I can imagine in Parliament you end up with politicians trying to give really important speeches while their feet are like doing a little river dance or something. Because then, like, we don't need each other. It's fine. And when we think about the body like this, of course it's ridiculous. The head absolutely needs the feet. The eye needs the hand. All parts of the body are needed, and they need to work together. But the reason why Paul gives this metaphor, the reason why it's so good, is because I'm not sure we view ourselves in the same way. Do we see ourselves as a body part that, he, that is needed by the other body parts, not just needed, but wanted and valued? Do we see ourselves as different, yet, but important? And do we know that we have a role to play in this body, in this church family? And I think for some of us, our tendency is to look at others and think that they are better or more important than us and they know what they're doing and they've got their lives sorted and they're like a proper Christian. I wonder how many of us hear this and kind of assume we're the armpit of the church. So we're like, yeah, we're a part of it, but we're like the stinky bit, the smelly bit, that don't really do anything, just kind of there grows annoying hair for some of us. 
And I know that is funny, but I also think a lot of us do view ourselves like that. Or maybe you think you're the little toe of the body. Kind of cute, but could manage without it. And that's not how God sees you. God has put this body together, and without you, it just wouldn't be the same. And by the way, in the armpit, there are 20 lymph nodes, which are vital for fighting infection, so also really important. And the little toe is important for balance, but technically you can manage without it, but it is still important. Or perhaps we compare ourselves to others and we come off pretty well in our comparisons. We see ourselves as like the blood. Busy, 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 running around, serving everyone else, looking after everyone else, making sure everyone's doing their job. And we look at others and think, what are they doing? How are they contributing? They're not doing this big, important job that I'm doing. They're not giving as much as I'm doing. They just turn up every now and then and do something. But again, this is not how God sees us if we're the body. We don't all have the same job, but we do all have a role. And maybe sometimes our role is to help others figure out theirs. This here is the church and all the people that aren't with us today. When our kids were younger, because we were, we were meeting here at Burnham for many years and then we moved and we moved back. But when our kids were younger, whenever we drove past this building, our kids would go, oh, look, there's G2. And we used to think it was really funny because we're like, it's not G2, like it was a school and now it's a community centre. But they just associated this building with G2. But we know that that's not what G2 is. We know that if we met somewhere else, we'd still be G2 because it's nothing to do with the building. It's to do with the people. We are the church, all of us. You, plural, are the church. And together with you, I am the church. Each of us are the church. Each of us have a vital part to play in being the church. And I think sometimes we, we then spend quite a lot of time trying to figure out what is my vital part. Like Paul and his preaching in the Bible, it's really easy to look at that and go, okay, that's his job. But that isn't really what I mean. I don't mean that we need to figure out like what's my one job that I turn up and do every week. Who you are is crucial. Your story is essential. And what God is doing in your life is not just for you. It's for the whole church. So if you've had some encouragement, then please share it with others because it's their encouragement too. Each of our good news is also other people's good news. We want to share in each other's and celebrate what's happening. If you've got a passion for something, then share it because it will be a passion for someone else too. And maybe God wants to use that. And in the same way, we share in each other's suffering, or we should do. I think too many of us keep our suffering to ourselves, scared to expose it, and worried it might um, upset others, or we get worried others might not cope with it. Someone told me recently that during worship they wanted to cry, but they didn't think they could because they felt like that wouldn't be fair on other people. That made me really sad that they didn't feel they could just let go. And I, I remember being on the phone recently to someone, someone in G2, and they were just telling me what was going on in their life. And they didn't want anything from me, obviously, because I'm the leader, they'd phoned me, they just wanted to talk. But they weren't asking for help, they weren't asking for anything from me, they just wanted to tell me that it was hard. And I found myself crying while I listened to them, because it was so sad what they were dealing with. When part of the body hurts, 
every part hurts because we're connected. And because we're one body, not just the body of G2, but we're connected with all believers as one body, it really hurts when people speak badly of different churches. Most Wednesday mornings, I go along to a prayer meeting, which is for church leaders and charity leaders in York. And it genuinely is a joy and a privilege to pray with other leaders who are vastly different to me and whose churches look really, really different to G2 and often look a bit confused when I talk about some of the things we do here at G2. But yet, every week we stand together and we bless each other. And that's unusual. That's like a real strength of the churches in York to do that. But on the other hand, it really breaks my heart when I hear about people that are bad-mouthing G2. And it does happen. And you might know people that have done this. Followers of Jesus who maybe have been at G2 and then have moved on. I know about people that have said we're not teaching the Bible, that we don't care about justice. And instead of speaking to me or coming and speaking to someone in G2, they're just talking to other people about it, spreading things about it. And it's not because I'm the leader that it hurts. It's because I'm part of the body, the same part that they are. And so they're damaging the same body. They're damaging other body parts. They're damaging all of us. They are unbuilding the church that Jesus created and Jesus loves so much. They're hurting the bride of Christ and that hurts all of us. And both of these scriptures that we've looked at together today share something in common. They are deeply empowering for all of us. Both are a call to action. Both are a call to step up into an active role of being the church. Not just a call to accept Jesus, not just a call to be saved, but a call to be his hands and feet and to continue his ministry and build his church with others. And I hope and pray that every one of you knows your value. And I am really sorry if we've ever communicated anything less than that at G2. I'm sorry if it looks like leaders or speakers are elevated to a place of importance because it's not how I see them and it's not how I see myself. And I know that churches sometimes can be lonely places. The larger they become, the more isolated we can become. The harder life gets, Sometimes the more isolated people become because it's radical to choose community rather than choosing to isolate yourself. But we really need each other. I've always seen church as a family where everyone has something to contribute, kind of like on Christmas Day. Like I've always had this picture of church on Christmas Day where everyone turns up and you've got someone doing the sprouts and someone prepping the potatoes and someone making the gravy. But someone told me recently, that's not everyone's um, image of church. Of family. That's not everyone's experience of family. And then honestly, like it's not my experience growing up, but it is the family I see that we can be, where everyone mucks in. Some people's job is just chatting, and that's really, really valuable. But everyone is offering something. Some people's job is to turn up with the wine. That's great. <laughs> turn up. 
So we are empowered to go and make disciples, and we are created to be one body with many parts. But what is stopping us from believing in this and acting on it? Jesus said all authority has been given to him, and he empowers us with that same authority. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Holy Spirit. We are the church And we have such a vital part to play. But do you know this? What's getting in the way for you? Maybe nothing. Maybe you know this and you just want to say yes again to it. But maybe some of you here today have felt like you're the armpit or the little toe of the church. Maybe you look at others and you know that you're in this family, but you're not as good or as important as them. And we just want to bring that to God now offer that to God and recognize that every part is equal maybe your experience of family has got in the way for you maybe your you know your upbringing maybe you were in a family where not everyone did have a part to play where there was one parent and they made all the decisions and everyone else had to go with it and so that's what your picture of family is but that's not God's picture of family. Or maybe you've seen yourself as the blood or the heart or the lungs, big important organ, and you've been a bit frustrated with the other parts. And maybe we just need to repent of that and say sorry, because again, that's not the way God sees us. Perhaps you just didn't know that this was God's picture. Perhaps you've just never heard this scripture before. Perhaps you didn't know the call to action, the call to be the church. And you just want to say yes to that for the first time today. And I encourage you to stand up. if you want to respond to this at all just open your hands up if one of those things I've said has resonated or if there's something else that's resonated to you today so come Holy Spirit come and minister to each of us today for those who have not felt good enough let them hear your voice say you are my child you are a part of this body and you are valued let all of us hear that for each other let all of us know our part in this great big body of Christ that we're all invited into and God we say thank you Thank you for creating church. Thank you for creating this church. Thank you for G2. Thank you for this family. Thank you for all these people that have so much to offer. And I ask you to release, God, release what it is that is holding people back. 
Thank you, God. Let's sing together now.